0: This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for radio, and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The North American Car, Truck, and Utility Vehicle of the Year Awards have just been announced, and we'll have the details for you. Direct from the jury, I'm the vice president of that organization, by the way. And there's a new big dog in U.S. auto sales for the past year, and we'll tell you all about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Well, hi, I am Jack Nierad, and with me is guest host Gino Effler. Gino has co-hosted with us before. He's director of corporate communications at J.D. Power. Gino, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it.
1: Jack, you're very welcome. It is always a a thrill for me to be on America on the Road. And uh, 26 years. Wow, this show is... uh has been around. That's pretty impressive. Yeah,
0: honey. exactly. I started the show when I was three. I'm now 29. It's a, <laughs> It's been great so far, and I'm expecting it to go several more years. Co-host Chris Teague is not with us this week. He's out ill. We wish him well. Hopefully, he will be back with us again next week. But it's always great to have Gino on the show. He's so insightful. He's been around this industry for, well, at least 26 years, I imagine. Something like I that. Have, yes. yeah, I have, yes. Absolutely true. So, great to have him on the show. This week we have a terrific guest for you as well. Our special guest is Nick Collins. He's Executive Director of Vehicle Programs for Jaguar Land Rover. He has a nice British accent too, uh, but that isn't uh, the highlight. The highlight will be the fact that he's going to give us some inside details on the all-new Range Rover just introduced. So, we will have that special bit of information on Range Rover for you. In the road test segment, we'll take a long look at the 2022 Kia Soul. That's a vehicle that has been one of the biggest bargains on the market for the past decade. And the question is, does it still deserve that honor as a 2022 model year vehicle? Well, we'll sort that out. And I'm sure Gino will have some special insight on how consumers feel about Kia vehicles and maybe the Soul itself. Uh, you have that kind of insight, don't you, Gino?
1: Every now and then I do, Jack. Uh, I come to these things prepared. So yeah, I'll, I'll have some insight for you.
0: Good. Well, we're counting on that. But before we do that, we're going to have the latest in automotive news from around the globe. So stay with us for that with Gino Effler. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with guest host Gino Effler. It's Jack Nereb with you for automotive news, and we've got tons of automotive news, including the North American Car, Truck, and Utility Vehicle of the Year Award winners. They have just been announced in Detroit, and uh, we have the inside skinny on these because I'm vice president of the North American Car of the Year jury, and I've served on the jury for a long time, and uh, Gino, you're certainly an observer of of North American Car of the Year for many, many years. Let me run. I am. Down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am.
1: And, and and I'm very anxious to hear who these winners are. Who are you 100 jurors? It's still 100 jurors, right?
0: Actually, it's 50. We've cut 50 it in half. Yes, yeah, okay. so we've cut All it right. in half to 50 jurors. And I am one of them, as I say, and also the uh, vice president of the organization. And uh, let me run run down the North American Car of the Year. Truck of the Year and Utility of the Year Award winners. I think I'm going to start with Utility Vehicle of the Year. And it is the 2022 Ford Bronco, Uh, an exciting vehicle, Uh, the revival of the Bronco name after many, many years of not being in the market. And they've really done one heck of a job with this vehicle. What's your take on the Ford Bronco, the new Ford Bronco,
1: Gina? I think you know when when you revive a name, uh, a, a, an iconic name, regardless of the brand, uh, it puts a lot of extra pressure on the current design team and and uh, you know the marketing team to make sure that that vehicle gets up to the same, shall we say, uh, uh, image level that the old version had, and and I think. Uh, What we see in J.D. Power studies is that, uh, uh, you know, consumers were very satisfied with the uh, with the Ford Bronco, you know, in in the appeal, you know, uh, study what basically what owners liked about the car and or about the vehicle. And it's uh, it's pretty strong, very robust. I think it's gotten a lot of good media coverage. And from that standpoint, I think their biggest problem is they probably wish they could make more of them.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I completely agree with you. I mean, there is a lot of... The onus is really on the designer and the the whole team putting together a vehicle that is taking an iconic name like Bronco on. And and it really is an iconic name. It dates back to the 60s. A lot of uh, interesting aura around Bronco, certainly, including a slow speed chase uh, once upon a time. (laughs) But, uh, you know, a a lot uh, revolving around that. And I think they've done one heck of a job. I think... They really have. Uh-huh. I, I voted strongly for Bronco in this category, and I, I just think uh, it's kind of kick butt.
1: You know, when you mentioned Ford Bronco, the, uh, maybe it's my age, but the first thing I think of is Parnelli Jones driving it uh, in the Baja, uh, you know, 1000 and Baja Desert races. It's, uh, it goes back that far. That would, it's, It is an iconic model for the Ford Motor Company.
0: Right. When I uh, joined this business, which is a long time ago now, uh, I used to pick up Ford vehicles to test at Bill Drop and Son, and they're the ones who prepared those vehicles for that off-roading down in, in Baja, etc. cetera. So uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, the Bronco, and uh, I really think they've done one heck of a job on that vehicle. Well, uh, let's go to the next vehicle on the list, and that is the North American Truck of the Year. Three really interesting contenders in this category, including the Rivian R1T from a, a startup manufacturer, and then the Hyundai Santa Cruz, uh, which is kind of a trucklet, <laughs> you know, a little truck. But the winner <laughs> is, the North American Truck of the Year is the Ford Maverick. Wow. So, you know, a compact truck. Uh, the revival of the small truck. What's your take on the the Maverick, and another uh, you know very proud Ford name, but or maybe not so proud, but a, a well worn Ford name. What's your take on that, Gina?
1: Yeah, I, I think Jack that this is this is a surprise. I, I, I obviously it, it was very impressed impressive to the jurors. I, I think. Uh, you know, it's still a bit early to to measure some consumer satisfaction with the vehicle. But but those who have driven it early on, you know, have have been very positive about it. And I think that segment, the smaller uh, truck is something that people, a lot of people are looking for. And and they, they think back to when all those small pickup trucks went away. And, they, and I think they were all asking why, why do all those small pickup trucks go away? You know, uh, 30 40 years ago it's like we like those things they're 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 nice and uh, I think this maverick is a solid a solid machine but uh, I, I don't think it came into this competition as the favorite in the pickup truck category usually you think bigger and stronger and you know, more more towing capacity kind of drives uh, drives the award to to a larger truck. But uh, you know, kudos to Ford on on their execution of the Maverick. You know, the, from the design, the engineering, and uh, obviously the price point. I'm sure a lot of those things came into play when uh, when the judges picked it.
0: Absolutely, price point I think was a big thing, and uh, and of course the fact that at its low price point, in fact, I think it starts under twenty thousand dollars. And I think they're going to hold that price for a while. It has a hybrid powertrain, uh, which is kind of an amazing value in and of itself. I think you can get a very well-equipped Ford Maverick for twenty-two, twenty-three thousand dollars. And uh, though it's not for everybody, as you say, some people like a larger truck. I think what Ford has done is they built a real good small truck, and. Uh, uh, to your point, a lot of people have been hankering for that for quite some time now.
1: Yeah, the, the only downside to uh, with Maverick buyers, Jack, is, uh, you know, if they own a Maverick, they can't go to their friends and say, hey, you know, you've got that big pickup truck. Can you help me move this weekend? Because th- those friends will say, well, hey, pal, you got your own pickup truck now. Go do it yourself.
0: Uh <laughs> But having that open bed is very versatile. I mean, I have had yep. the Maverick around the house. Uh, I tested it for a week. I also tested the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which also has a small pickup truck bed. And they're very, very useful vehicles in a lot of ways. You can stick stuff in a a pickup truck bed, obviously, that you can't shoehorn into an SUV. And I think that works out quite well. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Let's dive into North American Car of the Year. You know, maybe the the red letter among these, although uh, so many sport utility vehicles are sold these days that so you can make the case that the sport utility vehicle of the year is the most important uh, pick here. But the Car of the Year is a is a great vehicle with a great heritage, and it's the Honda Civic. All new for 2022, completely redone, and it is just an unbelievable value. I think it's a terrific vehicle, and you certainly have uh, had a lot of experience with Honda Civics through the years, and American consumers certainly have, but tell us a bit about your take on that, Gino.
1: I think it's a great choice. Um, you know, the the Civic was iconic, or has been iconic for, for decades, uh, you know, the small little sedan. Uh, with an engine that seemed to last forever. And when fuel economy was uh, paramount in people's minds as a determining factor in buying a car, the Honda Civic was right up there, you know, very, uh, very fuel efficient. And and they rode that way for a long, long time. Early on, I don't think anybody could say Honda Civics were pretty stylish. Uh, they weren't ugly, but they were, you know, they 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 were kind of designed for the times that they were they were in, and uh, just incredibly reliable. And they carried that on. This this Civic I think is one of the most beautiful looking Honda Civics I've ever seen. The styling just knocked me out, and uh, it still is about with Honda. It's all about the powertrain, uh, which is obviously a big plus but they've added to the powertrain now obviously with the styling but you know it's Honda motor company they're always focused on the motor it's great performance uh the fuel economy still very strong pricing still very strong you know it's just it's it's always there it's always depend on it's I'd say they're the uh, Mariano Rivera of the auto industry
0: right well before we get out of the segment I want to uh, at least mention uh, a piece that we alluded to in the in the first segment and it is about Toyota Motor Corporation for the first time overtaking General Motors as the U.S.'s top-selling car company in annual sales, Toyota was less less struck by the chip shortage uh, than others, and certainly than GM, so that had something to do with it. Do you think this is a big shift, or you think this is maybe a one-year kind of thing that, that was driven by the chip shortage?
1: I, I think, Jack, in, in many cases, it was driven by the chip shortage. It was the quietest big news of the end of the year, it didn't get a lot of attention, but hey, for the first time in a uh, uh, hundred plus years, GM wasn't the sales leader in the U.S. That's that's big news. Will it continue in 2022? Uh, well, at, that depends a lot on how GM can handle. Uh, production.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good sum up, I think. And when we come back, we will be taking a look at the 2022 Kia Soul. We'll also get Gino's insight into uh, the whole car industry, what's going on, what happened last year and what's going on next year. So stay with us for that with Gino Effler. This is Jack D. Redd with you and join us right after the break for more of America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with guest host Gino Effler. Jack Red back with you for Road Test Time. And we love Road Test Time. We love road testing vehicles and telling you about them. What a fun job. We're lucky to have it. Uh, of course, co-host Chris Teague is not with us. He's out ill this week, but he will be back next week. I hope he's not being snowed in in Maine, where I think the weather is horrible. Much better in my end of the country and uh, where I and Gino Effler are. Are residing these days. But let's talk a bit about the Kia Soul. Uh, Certainly, Gino, this is a vehicle that has kind of quietly gathered a reputation as one of the most dependable vehicles of its type for a long, long time now. It's been on the market for uh, more than a decade. Uh, It sells well. Kia sold more than 75,000 Soul hatchbacks in 2021. So American consumers are grasping the fact that it's a good vehicle. What's your overall take on uh, what Kia has been able to accomplish with Soul?
1: I think it's very, very positive. You know, it, when Kia launched, they came into this market as kind of a, a, a quirky alternate to a Honda or a Toyota uh, or a Nissan. And this particular model, you know, this little hatchback just kind of fulfilled that quirkiness. You know, it's a very interesting little styling you see one, you know exactly what it is. You don't get it confused with something from another brand. But the fact that this car, this little compact hatchback, I guess, uh, you know, has pricing that starts under twenty thousand dollars, that's a rarity these days in the uh, the auto shopping world. And uh, I think they found a niche. There's still a lot of people that want a car that they can afford, and that has some sort of character and and styling to it, and this fits the bill.
0: I absolutely uh, agree with you there. And of course, uh, the Soul, it's interesting, you don't know exactly how to describe it because it's kind of part crossover SUV and part hatchback and not exactly like either one, right? I mean, it doesn't have all-wheel drive, so it isn't a typical crossover SUV. It doesn't pretend to have all-wheel drive, uh capabilities but at the same time it's got a lot of interior space for something that's uh, fairly short in terms of overall length that's 165 inches long which is not very long at all let me tell you it's it's shorter than say a nissan kicks for example uh but it has a lot of interior space and i think you you notice that the, the minute you get in inside a soul you realize how much space this thing offers uh, as you mentioned, it, it has a base price well under 20 grand, and uh, it's pretty well finished for something that uh, is that inexpensive. It has useful items like a tilt telescoping steering wheel, outside temperature display. Those, those things are standard across the board. Uh, the adjustable driver's seat is manually adjustable in the base configuration, but uh, you can get power-operated uh, adjustable driver's seat. Uh, and it has a 60-40 split seat back, so you can accept odd-sized cargo. Uh, they've offered various powertrains with the Soul, but uh, for 2022, there are only two powertrains. One is a 147-horsepower, 2-liter, 4-cylinder engine. It has a continuously variable automatic transmission as the transmission only transmission available. And then there is the sole turbo with 201 horsepower from a turbocharged 1.6 liter four cylinder. And it has a seven speed dual clutch automatic. So the vehicle has two different characters really largely dependent upon the engine you choose.
1: It sure does. And, and you know, it's like, you're not gonna be taking this car out to the uh, to the track anytime soon. Uh, and do any time trialing or anything like that but uh it it has some get up and go to it and for its size it's it's quite appropriate you know i've not talked to a kia sole owner yet who has been disappointed with their purchase now might there be out there in america yes but none that i've met so i i think it's a very solid vehicle um this new version Uh, The 2022, I think, uh, is going to be another winner for Kia.
0: Absolutely. I mean, they have largely stayed with the same formula from the beginning. They've added a little horsepower. I think the original was uh, down in horsepower from the 147 horsepower. Uh, But otherwise, things are very much the same. And uh, as you say, even with the... uh, Less powerful engine, the soul can more than get out of its own way. With a turbocharged engine, it's it's, it's kind of a blast to drive. Like it's not you're not going to challenge any Porsches with it, but you're going to have uh, uh, fun with it, and uh, a lot of usefulness in this vehicle too. I think it's a great urban vehicle. Uh, with the rear seat back folded, it offers a huge amount of uh, cargo space, sixty-two point one cubic feet. Uh, there's 24.2 cubic feet with the second row bench seat in use of cargo space, so that's like the cargo space of two uh, trunks in the typical sedan, something like that. More space than in the Hyundai Kona and the Toyota CHR, which are competitors. So very versatile vehicle, and I think one of the strong suits uh, on the Kia Soul 2 is the infotainment system, and I think that's something you could probably comment on because I I know that's a big uh, sticking point for many, many consumers is the infotainment systems. But I think, uh, very intuitive in the Kia Soul and, uh, that wins it some kudos, doesn't it?
1: It does. I, I'm not going to get into the specifics, Jack, but I know that the infotainment system is critical to, uh, the, the cust overall customer satisfaction, uh, of every vehicle owner out there. We see that in, uh, JD power studies all the time. And, uh, you know, when you look at the infotainment system, not only this vehicle but other Kias, uh, the satisfaction levels are pretty strong. And you know that's that's why we've seen Kia do extremely well in JD Power initial quality study results. Uh, that's the you know measurement of quality study and uh, quality in the first 90 days of ownership, and then also in the vehicle dependability studies that we do that measures. Uh, owner satisfaction over the first three years of ownership. So, you know, Kia has has won these studies in recent years. They've finished way up there. Uh, in the other years, they're not winning right now, and and it's a far cry from from where they were, uh, you know, 25 to uh, plus years ago when they launched in the U.S. When they were at the bottom of all the J.D. Power studies. So this this brand has really focused on. The quality and the, and making things work the way they're supposed to work and fulfilling the expectations of customers. And, and uh, you know, the infotainment system is an example of that.
0: Absolutely true. Another example of that are the uh, safety and driver aids that are available. Uh, the lowest version, the LX version, uh, makes them uh, optional. Uh, but there are many standard safety features across the other trim levels, including forward collision avoidance assist, lane keeping assist, driver attention warning, blind spot collision warning, lane change assist, and rear cross traffic collision uh, avoidance assist. So a lot of good stuff on the safety front. Fuel economy, quite good, very competitive with others in its class. Wide variety of trim levels and kind of interesting trim levels. And uh, you can get uh, cool stuff like a Harman Kardon audio system in the Soul Turbo, for example, uh, and still not pay more than about twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand dollars 28, 29000 certainly not over $30,000. So I, I just think there's a ton of value uh, in the Kia Soul uh, across the board. Uh, some of the best values, I think, are the lowest priced among them because uh, they still have that 147-horsepower engine. And uh, a lot of good stuff inside. But uh, and then if you want to go to the uh, turbo and have 201 horsepower at your beck and call and a shift it yourself transmission, you can do that for less than twenty eight thousand dollars. So I think you probably agree with me, Gino, that there's a a lot of value here in the Kia Soul.
1: There sure is. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there looking for value when it comes to buying a new car. Sometimes they can't necessarily find a lot of new cars, but they definitely are looking for value, and this fulfills that uh, that checkbox.
0: Well, they are going out the door quickly. As I was uh, putting together the uh, review today, I was checking to see uh, local uh, inventory availability, and uh, they're not all that available, but uh, check them out and uh, call your Kia dealer and uh, see what you can do. Well, I want to tap into uh, your expertise, Gino, on what happened in 2021. Uh, it was kind of a a year of two different kind of sales demeanors, I, I guess you would say. I mean, we had strong, strong sales. And then suddenly, because of inventory issues, uh, sales went off the cliff for a little bit. But uh, tell us a bit about your insight on all of that.
1: Well, it was an interesting year, uh, probably one unlike we've ever seen in the car industry before. Uh, you know, here we are, the, the The pandemic, the COVID-19 has had such a, a an effect on production from the supply chain of parts uh, and the production of vehicles, that production volume was way, way down, comparatively speaking, to previous years. But there still was a demand for new vehicles. You know, just because there was fewer cars available didn't mean that consumers weren't out shopping. Uh, Well, the sales overall in 2021 were Disappointing per se in terms of uh, you know previous years, but almost all the car- cars that were that were manufactured were being sold, you know, at a at a percentage rate that was unlike uh, anything we've seen in in uh, in our lifetime. I mean, it's just it's it's staggering. It, it's hard for people to necessarily get the exact vehicle they want, so sometimes they have to compromise a bit more. Uh, but you know the the. In- the 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 desire uh to buy new cars is uh is still there it's still very strong, jack
0: absolutely, and we're gonna see what unfolds this year. hopefully uh production can catch up with demand uh and we can lessen those prices a little bit because it has been beating up the consumer a bit. Well, yeah. when we come back, we are going to have our interview with Nick Collins, who is the Head of Product for Jaguar Land Rover. He will be talking a bit about, more than a bit about actually, uh, the all-new Range Rover. We see one of those every decade or so, so it's exciting stuff. So stay with us for our interview with Nick Collins. He is Executive Director of Vehicle Programs for Jaguar Land Rover, and we'll have that right after the break. With Gino Effler, this is Jack Nierad. and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road, Jack NERAD, with you. We are at the Los Angeles Auto Show, and we are uh, the guests of Jaguar Land Rover right now. Uh, Nick Collins is with us. Thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, talking about product and the new Land Rover, which you're here to talk about. You've jetted in from U.K. to do
2: that. Uh, tell us what you've got to tell us. Well, thanks. first of all, thanks for having us. Great pleasure to be with you. Um, and we are here in Los Angeles for the American reveal of the all-new Range Rover. And this is, you know, an iconic vehicle for us, it is our flagship, it's the fifth generation of the car, now with 50 years of history and it's a once in a decade uh, opportunity to launch an all-new Range Rover.
0: What most excites you about that opportunity? Is it the history that, uh, that goes with it or, you know, what is it that is exciting about that?
2: I think the history is one element of it, it is, is an iconic car that people love all around the world. Um, But it's always, when you're doing it once in a decade, it's taking it to an all-new level and this car is, from the ground up, brand new. And we're announcing some really exciting elements with this car as well as, you know, a seven-seat version for the first time ever, really inspired by the US market. But maybe personally the thing I'm really excited about that we've said publicly now that from 2024 we'll have an all-electric version, of the Range Rover. And when you think of it as the, you know, the ultimate luxury SUV, you know what's more luxurious than whisper quiet um, progression in a Range Rover?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I, the the market has obviously come to you in a lot of ways, right? And Range Rover set the tone for the luxury SUV decades before it had any competition. Truly a landmark vehicle, and uh, uh, so how do you follow that up? I mean. Uh, You've you've
2: hinted at it, but uh, give us a bit more. Well, the first thing is you um, you don't try to reinvent it every time. and, And, you know, we very much listen to our customers, and we've got an incredibly loyal customer base at Range Rover. And what they say to us is don't change it, just make it better. So we're always thinking about how to make a Range Rover a better Range Rover. We're not reinventing it to be something different. You know, it's got a lineage, it's got a history, and we're just trying to take it to the next level of relevance for the modern world. Um, with this new car, we talk about its breathtaking modernity, and that's very much a, you know, a phrase that Jerry McGovern, our chief creative officer, uses to describe the design of the car, but actually its fundamental technology is breathtaking its modernity as well, and even its manufacturing technology to bring that precision of design to life is also quite breathtaking in its modernity.
0: Talk a bit about the engineering. How, how does that express itself, the modernity?
2: Yeah, well, in many, many different ways, and this, is, this car is, is from the ground, completely new. So we've got an all-new all architecture, it's predominantly aluminium, but we use ultra and high-strength steels in various places around the car to make it really, really stiff. And some variants of this car are 50% stiffer than the outgoing car. That, allows that, that stiffness of structure then allows you to really isolate the occupants of the car from any noise and vibration outside of the, on the road. So it's incredibly quiet and we get that right from the start before we layer in new technology on top of it. Um, one of the new bits and new technology we've put in for that refinement is uh, noise cancellation technology. So we've got little headphones mounted in the speakers, in, sorry, in the headrests, um, little speakers in the headrest in both row one and row two, and we've got little microphones in each of the four corners near the wheels, and then we create the anti the noise. And that just takes a very, very quiet cabin to an all-new level of luxuriousness. Um, we talked about the 7C, we talked about the electric version coming, We're launching the car with an extended range plug-in hybrid, Um, so we've got a 38 kilowatt hour battery underneath the car, packaged underneath the car, so there's no compromise to the luggage space or to the passenger space, Um, and that gets us about 62 miles of EV-only driving, and then that's mated to a six-cylinder petrol engine at the front, so when you do need to combine power, it's it's incredible, um, incredible refinement. And then for those who love it, particularly here in the U.S., we've got a new um, 4.4-litre V8 gasoline engine in the car as well.
0: What you've always been able to do with Range Rover, and uh, maybe you can at least tell us, hint at the magic secret to do that, is unbelievable off-road capability, uncompromised, and at the same time great on-road ride, quiet, and luxury. Uh, it's an incredible combination that very—it's <laughs> hard to match. Talk a bit about that, would you?
2: Yeah, and so the off-road capability is, is part of our brand, and we're never going to walk away from that, and our customers want that. You know, Do they use it every day? No. Do they know they can use it when they need to? Yes. Um, and we've taken this car to a new level, both on-road and off-road, and a lot of the technologies that work off-road work very well on-road now and vice versa. So we've got four-corner air suspension on the car. We've now got um, twin valve damping on the car, so we can independently tune um, bump and rebound on the car so we can get more, more precision into that. Um, we can raise the car four stages of elevation with the air suspension, so for that off-road experience. We've got a new wade mode on top of our existing off-road programs. And that's quite cool, it locks the drive line, it raises the car to its highest height, and it closes all the vents in the car to stop any water coming into the vehicle as well. And then maybe the, the, the newest piece of technology, or the two newest pieces of technology, which are really quite cool, um, we've got an electronic anti-roll control system that can generate up to 1400 Newton meters of torque, one on each axle to keep the car very, very flat in corners. But we've also introduced rear wheel steer on the car for the first time. So we've got seven degrees of uh, articulation, uh, of angle articulation on the rear axle. Seven degrees? Seven degrees. Yeah. So. When you turn the steering wheel in a slow-speed manoeuvre, you know, a parking lot manoeuvre, the, the wheels at the rear will go in the opposite direction to the front, and that gives it a turning circle of a compact sedan. I mean, it's literally like somebody shrunk the car. When you're out on the highway, those wheels are going to move in phase the front wheels, and that makes lane changes more intuitive, more progressive, and that actually gives you more comfort. But then the really neat bit, let me put you in an off-road situation, and you're in some quite deep ruts that angle from the rear axle, as well as the front, will actually allow you to steer out of the ruts more intuitively and easier than you can just with front wheel steering. What are the pieces of technology that you're most excited about in uh, the newest version of the Range Rover? Well, it's, that's quite a big question, because there's so much technology into it. Let me go to two or three different areas. I think the fundamental refinement, because Range Rover is a luxury car. And we're very, very confident how, about how quiet this car is. Um, Then we talk about the propulsion technology, and I'm really excited about the plug-in hybrid, and I'm also excited about the EV that's coming, because we're on that progression now as an industry. Um, But then we've got an all-new level of connectivity in this car as well, so Mm. it's a Range Rover for the modern world. Um, And that manifests itself in a couple of places. We've um, got wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, but we've also integrated Amazon Alexa. And you don't need to bring your device into the car for that, you just need to log into your Amazon account on the car and you can use it wherever you want. You can control the car with it. You can also turn your lights off at home with your Alexa connected devices back in your house. Um, And then in our commitment to um, quality and reliability as we go forward, we've got 70 of the control modules in the car that we can now update over the air. And that covers all of the major control systems, the navigation systems, the infotainment systems. And we can send those software updates to the car. We can offer our customers new features as we develop them and we can continuously improve the product for them through their ownership experience.
0: Right. This product, the Range Rover, is sold in uh, probably over a hundred countries across the the world. Uh, I think I live in a town (laughs) that is uh, your number one market. Uh, I live in the South Bay of uh, right here near Los Angeles. I can't believe the number of Range Rovers in my town. Would that I could afford uh, one uh, the way some of my uh, compatriots? How do you look at that? How do you look at a a vehicle of the capability of a Range Rover being essentially used just to shuttle kids back and forth to to preschool? Run that through your head a little bit, and I'm curious as to your take.
2: Well, I'd say them on many different levels, actually. So you're absolutely right. Here in Los Angeles, incredible the number of Range Rovers. But what's actually struck me this week driving around is all the generations of the Range Rovers. So when we talk about sustainability, it's not just about the first life of the car, and actually it's been wonderful to see multiple generations of Range Rovers around the city. So people really relate to this product for the longevity of it. Um, you know, the car is an incredible off-road car, but it's also an incredible on-road car, as we've discussed. And al- for a lot of people, it's their sanctuary. It's the place where they feel safe. So why don't they transport their children and their grandchildren in it it's because they feel it's a safe place to be and it's a, it's a refined place to be. So we, we, have, we have that place in the world. We have a responsibility to it. But that's also why we're on this transition towards EV. You know, we got, this is the Range Rover Electric that we're going to launch in 2024. It'll be the first of six Land Rovers that will be all electric. By the end of the decade, we'll have an electric version of every Land Rover that we make. And by 2036, as a total company, will be zero emissions. So we're on that sustainable journey, but, but sustainability has many levels. Um, and I love seeing the generations of this car on the road and it being passed through those generations. We have incredibly loyal customers with Range Rover. We have a lot of repeat business and we have that because the car gets under your skin and it gets under your skin for a long time.
0: Right, what does electrification uh, open up to you that you wouldn't have otherwise from an engineering point of view and capability point of view?
2: Yeah, it's interesting actually because a lot of people say, well, it's not going to be very good off-road. Actually, it's outstanding off-road because you've got that instantaneous torque Torque. at low rev. So you've got much more precision. You can control the four wheels independently. You've got huge torque from zero movement effectively. Um, And then on-road you've got the ultimate in quietness, you know, complete whisper quietness. Um, And for a a Range Rover, that's just... Then you have to
0: engineer against (coughs) that, right? So everything else
2: is quiet because there's no engine sound. Yeah, it's going to open up different discussions, you know, noises that perhaps you've not heard before that are masked by, um, you know, by road noise or by engine noise suddenly become very prevalent in EV. and, And we'll continuously refine that as we go forwards as well.
0: Interestingly, I I guess, uh, and and certainly uh, you're known for your interiors, right? Uh, And very traditional interiors, traditional in a a beautiful, rich, well-tailored way.
2: Uh, How do you evolve that? Well, we're evolving on on a number of levels. So we talk about reductive design. We're actually very reductive on the inside of the car as well. So we're simplifying a lot of what we do. Um, making it less um, confusing for the owner to use, less complicated, you know less distracting, frankly. Yeah. So we evolve it on that level but in a very classical tailored way, as you said. And then we're also very committed to our materiality strategy. So it's not all about leather. We've got an incredible range of luxurious textiles and leather alternatives that we're bringing because we believe uh, luxurious materials can be manifest themselves in many different ways. So we're really pushing material choice and material diversity in there as well. Are you talking about natural materials like wool, say, or is that yeah, kind yeah, of is yeah, that kind of upholstery material? Yeah, we're using textiles. And if you think about the high-end furniture market now, it's not so much leather furniture. It's very much high-end textiles. And we're, we're pioneering that, bringing it into the automotive industry as well.
0: What should our listeners know about the new Range Rover uh, when they think about Range
2: Rover? I think they should think it... It is truly a Range Rover. We we think of it as the ultimate luxury SUV, and this generation is just taking the prior generation to an all-new level. But they should really see that iconic design evolve, and they should really understand that this is ground-up, um, breathtakingly modern technology underneath the car as well. And this is taking what is an already great car to an even greater level.
0: Yeah, and I think. Making, adding technology, but making it simple and and easy to use and transparent uh, is the way to go. It strikes
2: me that's what you're doing. Absolutely. You, you, You can't make it confusing, you know, people, people get into a Range Rover and breathe out a sigh of relief that they've got into their sort of quiet sanctuary of a place. They don't want to be confused. They don't want to be harassed. They don't want to be, you know, figuring out how to use it. They want to breathe out. And we want them to breathe out. We want them to enjoy a luxury experience.
0: Well, uh, Nick Collins of Jaguar Land Rover, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate you sharing uh, all this insight about the all-new Range Rover.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. It is our final segment for this week with guest host Gino Effler. We thank him so much for being with us. We really do appreciate having him with us. We're going to tap into his knowledge right now as the uh, director of corporate communications for J.D. Power. Uh, Here's our question from Leon. He's in Davenport, Iowa, and this is what Leon asks. He says, it seems like trucks and SUVs are all I see people buy these days. How big is that trend, and do you ever see it ending at some point? Well, what's your take on that, Gino?
1: Great question. The answer is, uh, right now, uh, trucks and SUVs account for about 80% of new vehicle retail sales, and it's never been that high uh, only a few years ago, it was uh, just over 50%, and slightly climbed above 60. It just keeps climbing. At w- where it's going to end, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to come down very much unless uh, unless something very dramatic happens in the industry from a product standpoint. I, I just see that uh, uh, people are very happy with SUVs and trucks. Uh, they, you know, gas is still I won't say affordable, but it's not unaffordable quite yet. And, uh, you know, this, this 80% figure, while, uh, while tough uh, or, or at times unbelievable, I, I don't think it's going to uh, vary uh, from that number very far.
0: Yeah, you know, I really think what we have seen, and uh, nobody really reports on it this way, but I think the new car is an SUV. The new uh, a crossover is what a car uh, is for most people. Uh, It's just the the conventional vehicle. And a sedan or a coupe or something like that is a specialty car these days. It's not mainstream. The mainstream are all these crossovers. And there's good reason for that. Uh, They're easy to get in and out of. Uh, You can see out of them really well. Uh, They're great for families, but they're great for individuals as well. Uh, They're very versatile. There's just a lot of reasons why crossovers are uh, a better purchase than a sedan or coupe. And uh, I think uh, that also holds true for trucks, especially now that we have five passenger pickup trucks as the norm.
1: Very true, Jack. I have to agree with that.
0: So a ton of reasons why we have that. We want to thank Gino Effler for uh, sharing his insight as uh, the J.D. Power expert uh, with us. We really appreciate him joining us. Thanks so much for being with us, Gino.
1: Jack, my pleasure. As always, look forward to my next visit.
0: I look forward to it too. We always have fun chatting with each other. Uh, We've known each other for a long time and and we still like each other or I like you and apparently (laughs) you like me well enough to be on the show so I appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to Chris Teague returning with us again uh, next week. So look for that. He remains six feet tall. So that's it for this edition of America on the Road with Gino Effler. This is Jack Nerad saying thanks so much for being with us and join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California can save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking for some automotive information to buy a new car, a used car, or just care about cars. Go to drivingtoday.com. It's drivingtoday.com with a world of automotive information every day. Drivingtoday.com, the official website of America on the Road.